0: Matthew 118, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise, when as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. And Joseph, her husband, being a just man, not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privately, privily. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. And then one other verse in Psalm 56. Psalm 56 verse 9. And I'll give context to this psalm later. This is a psalm of David. When I cry unto thee, then shall mine enemies turn back. This I know. Would you just say, this I know? This I know. God is for me. I'd like to speak to you tonight on the subject, certainty in uncertain circumstances. Certainty in uncertain circumstances circumstances. Thank you. You may be seated. Appreciate you standing and worship and honoring the word of God. Well, I have great news for you. Life is filled with uncertainties. Isn't that a revelation? Came out on a rainy, windy, cool Wednesday night to hear something you already knew. It has always been that way. It always will be until we get to heaven But there are times in our lives when God gives us a longer term direction of what we should be doing for Him. It's interesting that when Israel was carried away, Judah was carried away into Babylonian captivity, uh, they wanted to bring a rebellion. They wanted to try to escape. And the Lord in essence told them, Settle down, you're going to be here 70 years. There's nothing you can do to shorten the 70 years. So settle in, do the best you can where you are, In 70 years, I'll deliver you, but not before. And there's nothing you can do to change that reality. They knew that they were going to be there 70 years as a consequence of violating God's Sabbath rest of the land and other sins, of course. But then there are those times in our lives when we are in a season of uncertainty. Decisions seem to be more short-term. It's difficult to look way down the road have a 20-year plan or a 5-year plan or maybe a 1-year plan. It seems like it's a reach for us to look beyond the short-term circumstances in our lives. And I have observed that in those times, God, who knows the end from the beginning, gives us direction when it is needed. Usually not before it is needed and usually not until the last minute because He's teaching us to trust Him. In seasons of uncertainty, our certainty, our confidence is in the leadership of the Lord in our lives. The Lord can conceal His will or He can reveal His will. There are some things that God chooses to conceal from us until the right time that He reveals it to us for our good, for His glory, the direction that we need. There's a lot that we don't know about this life, both now and in the future. We live in a world of tremendous uncertainties. It's always been that way, but right now, right now, and I am really probably don't want to hear another sermon about COVID-19, but we recognize that it's the reality of our world right now. Cases on the rise, anticipated shutdowns, economic impacts of that, political transition in our country, Societal transformation, not all for good. That's where we are right now. And in the short term, there is a lot of uncertainty. Now, I want to remind you that when I walk to the pulpit, very seldom have I been sitting around thinking about, well, what's going on in the news? What should I talk about Wednesday night? What should I preach on Sunday? What should I teach on Wednesday? I feel like it's better to talk to God about the people and then go talk to the people about God. Pray and hear from the Lord And then he knows the circumstances of every person's life. He knows the circumstances of our culture. He knows the climate now and in the future. So he's able to give us a word from his word that is both relevant, practical, encouraging, and insightful right where we live. So that's why I bring you this message tonight. Not because of current events, but because of what the Spirit of the Lord is saying to the church in our current context. So my mission tonight is to give an understanding of that which is certain, of those things which we can take to the spiritual bank, live on and die by, knowing that God is always true. We are saved and we have hope of eternity. That's who we are. We're the people of God. And God has given us a sense of certainty, of confidence in Him, right in a climate of uncertain circumstances in our world, the writer of Hebrews said in chapter 6, verse 17, wherein God, willing more abundantly to show the heirs of promise, the immutability of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath. That by two immutable things, if you study this passage, it's awkward. In more than one translation. But the two immutable things are God's word and his oath. He backed up his word with an oath. He didn't have to give an oath to Abraham. But he gave an oath for Abraham's sake not his own. That by two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie. We might have a strong consolation. Who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us. Which hope we have. As an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, which is entered into that within the veil. That's an entire message on its own. The anchor that is inside the heavenly veil, wherein the forerunner, Jesus Christ, is already entered before us. When circumstances are uncertain, we have a, a certain hope, a sure word, an anchor. For the soul that does not slip. We see this played out in the life of Joseph, Mary, and baby Jesus. So I want to rehearse this story a little bit. And I want to show you how Joseph lived in this context of uncertainty. Not knowing what to do in the immediate future. Not the long term future. And how God guided him. And as God guided him, he will. Guide us. This is a story that from God's perspective is filled with certainty. It's marked by prophecies. It's the plan that God had from before time. It was the plan that God made before the foundation of the world. But from Joseph's perspective, as the protector, as a provider for his espoused wife Mary, the soon to be born baby Jesus that he didn't know about at first, There were many uncertainties. It was kind of a wild ride of twists and turns and predictable only to God alone. Joseph was unsure about what he should do when Mary was found with child. And that's what I read to you in our text in the beginning. Before they were come together, a spousal was more of a formal contract and a, a binding ceremony. It wasn't like our modern day engagement. So they were contractually bound to be married, but they had not legally and lawfully and morally come together as one flesh. So they're engaged in our terms, a spouse which was even more serious. But Mary is found with child of the Holy Ghost. Joseph learns about this by surprise, and he's trying to decide what to do. He's a just man. So he's godly, he doesn't want to mar his reputation But he doesn't want to make Mary a public example. He doesn't want to try to take her into the center of the city and have her stoned to death. That was practiced under the law. Probably not too much in these days, but it could have happened like that. So Joseph is trying to decide what to do. And he does something that's very important that I've talked about through the years. He thought on these things. He was not irrational, rash, emotional, impetuous, impulsive. He didn't just jump out and do something. He stopped and he thought about it. And because he gave God an opportunity, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife. For that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. She's going to have a son. You'll call his name Jesus. The name Jesus the Lord saves, he will save his people from their sins. So here is Joseph surrounded by lots of uncertainty, many unanswered questions. This has never happened in the history of the world, and it will never happen again. His reputation is at stake. You cannot imagine Mary, sweet, you know, moral Mary being pregnant, but she was. It's apparent that she's unfaithful to her commitment to become husband and wife. And I don't really know how the news of Mary's pregnancy hit Joseph. What he thought about first, you know, why he thought on these things. But how did that impact him initially, thinking about the word spreading and his own reputation being marred to all friends and family and in Nazareth, a town perhaps of only 500 people at that time. So here's Joseph needing a certain word. He's in circumstances that are very uncertain, confusing, cloudy, but waiting on a word from the Lord, waiting on direction to know what to do. I don't think he knew that an angel would appear to him in a dream, but he was giving God a chance to speak to him. Every time you make a decision, wouldn't it be wise to think on these things and pray and seek godly counsel and hear what God has to say about it? I'm glad Joseph did. So while he waited, the Lord gave him a word of certainty in all the uncertain circumstances of his life. There was a certain word that had been prophesied in Isaiah 7, 14, about 700 years before Jesus was born. Therefore, the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and Shall call his name Emmanuel. It was fulfilled in Matthew one twenty two when, when the wise men came to visit. The Matthew quotes Isaiah: "Behold, a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son. They shall call his name Emmanuel," which, being interpreted, is God with us. So here is Joseph. He doesn't realize that he's part of the Christmas story that he's going to be a part of fulfilling 700-year-old prophecies and a plan of God from the foundation of the world. But in his uncertain circumstances, God has spoken 700 years prior and God speaks again and he gives him a word of certainty, a word of encouragement, and a word of direction. So now, they are in Nazareth... <clears throat> They have family and friends there and he has a business there evidently. Probably a small carpentry business. But then due to circumstances beyond his control, a census and taxation by the emperor, they have to leave. This is not in any plan that Joseph has. God has a plan to move Mary from Nazareth to Bethlehem because there's a prophecy that has to be fulfilled. So he will put it in the heart of the emperor of the Roman Empire to cause everyone to go back to their ancestral home. When you read the genealogies, both Mary and Joseph were descendants of the house of David. So Joseph would go back to Bethlehem, Mary would as well, but he's the head of this soon-to-be house. Great with child, 90 to 100 miles They do not choose this. They're forced to do it. It seems like it's uncertain circumstances beyond their control, but comfortably in the control of Almighty God. So here they go. Limited financial resources. No room in the inn. A Christmas story. While they were there, Mary brings forth her firstborn son lays them in a manger, there's no room for them in the inn. But this also is a fulfillment of a proximate 700-year-old prophecy by Micah, But Thou Bethlehem, Ephratah. Though Thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of these shall come forth unto me, that is to be a ruler in Israel, whose going forth have been from of old, from everlasting, this baby that will be born in a little town of Bethlehem, will be almighty God come in the flesh, Emmanuel, God with us. And into this uncertain circumstances, there is a certain word of prophecy that God will make sure comes to pass. So, the census to taxation, the journey to Bethlehem, and the prophecy is fulfilled, and there is one born king of the Jews. Now, the wise men come and uh, we see this prophecy. Matthew 2 6 is where it's fulfilled, where Micah is fulfilled. We see it in Matthew, a prince of Judah, out of thee shall come a governor. So that's where it's fulfilled. So now they're in Bethlehem, the baby's born. When the wise men come, uh, they come to the house where Mary and the young child is. So Jesus could have been as old as two years because, you know, Herod kills every baby from two years old and younger according to the time that was told him by the wise men. So it's not a baby in a manger. It's a child in a house. Joseph is not there. Evidently, when the wise men come, he's not mentioned in that part of the Christmas story. The wise men are warned in a dream to go home another way. Herod realizes he is mocked by the wise men. He decides to go to Bethlehem and kill every baby boy two years of age and younger and Jesus is going to be there. Circumstances that are uncertain about what will happen. Joseph has no personal knowledge of what Herod plans to do. He has no intel about the attempted murder of the young child Jesus. But God who protects his plan, God who knows all things, God who brings certainty into the uncertain circumstances of our lives, speaks to Joseph again in a dream, Matthew 2.13. And when they were departed, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise, and take the young child and his mother, and flee into Egypt, and be thou there until I bring thee word, for Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. When he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed into Egypt and was there until the death of Herod that it might be fulfilled which was spoken of the Lord by the prophets, saying, Out of Egypt have I called my son. We have another prophecy. 60 Old Testament references, 40 Old Testament quotes in the book of Matthew alone. So, God, who knows the end from the beginning, God who knows what Herod is planning to do, tells Joseph, take the young child and his mother, flee to Egypt and stay there until I tell you to leave. He doesn't tell him you'll be there a week or a month or a year. Some people say a year. But just go to Egypt and stay there, and I'll tell you the next step when I'm ready to tell you the next step. The certainty was the word of the Lord. The uncertainty was everything else. Nothing else was certain from a human perspective. And this was done to fulfill Hosea 11 and 1. And called my son out of Egypt. Now we're in Egypt. But we've got to get back to Nazareth. There's no reason to go back to Nazareth. They've uprooted. They're planning to go back to Bethlehem. When they go back into the land of Israel. But once again, after the death of Herod, God gives Joseph another dream, supernatural guidance. Matthew two nineteen. But when Herod was dead, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Arise, and take the young child and his mother, and go into the land of Israel, for they are dead, which sought the young child's life. And he rose and took the young child and his mother and came into the land of Israel. So they're back in Israel. But they heard that Archelaus did reign in Judea in the room or the office of his father Herod. So now Joseph is not willing, he's afraid to go back to Bethlehem where Jesus is born. Notwithstanding, being warned of God in a dream, we have another dream, He turned aside into the parts of Galilee. Now this is not part of my message. But God still speaks to people in dreams. I know some dreams are natural and we dream is probably the exhaust system of the self-conscious or subconscious. I don't know. There's a lot of mysteries about dreaming. But throughout the Bible, God used dreams to speak to people. And in the Christmas story, with all the uncertainty, there was not a handy prophet, preacher, counselor. There was not probably a a copy of the written word of God in Joseph's proximity if he could have read it. But there was a God who was protecting his plan, protecting his people. And in all the craziness of what was going on in the Roman Empire in Israel, all the profiteering, all the false religion, all the ritual, all the rejection of Jesus that would come. It was God whose guiding hand was working in his plan. And he gave certainty into these uncertain circumstances. The Bible said that Joseph, being warned of God in a dream, as I just said, turned aside into the parts of Galilee... And he came and dwelt in a city called Nazareth, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophets, plural, he shall be called a Nazarene. This is a fascinating quote, probably from the context of many Old Testament prophecies, Nazarene, Nazarite, the city of Nazareth, that's where he will go. Joseph did not have a certain plan for the first few years of Jesus' life. This is the most important thing that will ever happen in human history. God has come to earth and Joseph looks like he's winging it. Right? Like, look at these, look at these people. They're in Nazareth. They go to Bethlehem. They leave Bethlehem and they go to Egypt. They leave Egypt. They go back to Bethlehem. Whoop, nope. We're not going to Bethlehem. And they go back to Nazareth. Look at these people. What in the world are they doing? They're just zigzagging around as if they have no idea what they're doing at all. But there is a God who in all of the uncertainty of the circumstances of that culture, that time is guiding Joseph with the word of certainty because God always protects his plan. So that's the way it was. These birth narratives are marked by all this uncertainty. For a godly girl and guy to get married, that was normal. Joseph is looking forward to the wedding day. Oh, but wait, she's expecting a baby and you're not the father. A certain word, don't put her away. God is trusting you to take care of his promise, Joseph. Okay, I'm signing up for this one, Lord. We're going to plan to have the baby in Nazareth where you've got all this support. Well, sorry, wait, you've got to go to Bethlehem. So Jesus is born. Well, maybe we're supposed to raise Jesus in Bethlehem, the ancestral home, the city of David. Oh, wait, no, go to Egypt. How long should we stay in Egypt till I tell you to leave? Should we go back to Bethlehem? That seems natural. Nope, back to Nazareth. Think about Joseph trying to follow the leadership of God in his life, but God understood how important it was For him to have a certain word in all of the uncertain circumstances of his life at that time. Now reading back into the story from 2020, it's all very clear, right? We have the Old Testament prophecies. We have the New Testament fulfillment. We have 2,000 years of going back in a written Bible to read this story. But he lived it all without any of a road map except God guiding him with certainty and uncertain circumstances. Joseph has got pivotal decisions to make and God doesn't leave it to chance. He makes sure that Joseph has a word of certainty. And I remember young in my life trying to make decisions When an elder spoke to me and said, do you want to do the will of God? Yes. Are you praying, fasting, seeking counsel about the will of God? Yes, I am. You're not going to make a mistake. You don't have one foot on a banana peel and the other one in hell. You're trying to do the will of God. He wants you to do His will. He's going to guide you if you want Him to. He will give you certainty in the uncertain circumstances of your life. God protected his people, preserved his plan, and there are many, many Bible examples of how this plays out in scripture with other Bible characters. But I just want to take you to Psalm 56 and do one, all right? Just one for tonight, and then some scriptural reinforcement. Psalm 56 is a psalm of David, and the heading in my Bible goes like this. It's listed on our media team. They really have a hard time with Psalm 56.0. To the chief musician upon Jonathan Elim, I had to separate that word. That's a long word. Mictum of David. When the Philistines took him in Gath. Now the commentaries say that various introductory comments on Psalm 56 are very long. I read a lot of them and they talk about it's a lonesome dove or a dove and song of a dove put to a popular hymn. And there's all this background about Psalm 56. But it's when the Philistines took David in Gath. And I want to point out, similar to the story of Joseph, that David is in unfamiliar surroundings. He's in uncertain circumstances. David is being hunted by insecure King Saul and he flees to Gath. David arose and fled that day for fear of Saul and went to Achish, the king of Gath. And the servants of Achish said to him, Is not this David the king of the land? He's anointed, but there's not been a coronation. He's not a king yet. And they didn't, they sing about Saul has slain his thousands and David slain his tens of thousands. And the Bible said in 1 Samuel 21, 12, that's where this story is, that David laid up these words in his heart and was sore afraid of Akish king of Gath. David, this mighty man is afraid. He is running from Saul and he has this reputation that precedes him as a mighty warrior. Now he's a fugitive running for his life. The Bible said that David did something that seems cowardly. He acted like he had lost his mind. He changes his behavior. He pretends to be loco in the cabeza, right? Crazy. He scrabbles on the door. He lets his spittle run down his beard. And they're going. This man has lost his mind. We don't need a madman like this anywhere around here. We're not going to let this guy stick around. Well, David got out of that. And then the Bible said, First Samuel twenty-two one that David therefore departed thence and escape to the cave of Adullam. When all his brethren, father's house, heard it, they went down to him. And the story continues. But I just want to tell you that according to Psalm 56, 0, the introduction to Psalm 56, this is the setting. David has fled to Achish, king of Gath. Now he's gone to the cave, Adullam, Psalm 56, 1. We're just going to read through this psalm together, all right? Be merciful unto me, O God, for man would swallow me up. He fighting daily oppresseth me. Mine enemies would daily swallow me up, for they be many... That fight against me, O Most High. What time I am afraid, I will trust in thee. In God I will praise his word. In God I have put my trust. I will not fear what flesh can do unto me. Every day they rest or twist my words all their thoughts are against me for evil they gather themselves together they hide themselves they mark my steps they wait for my soul they shall they escape by iniquity and thine anger cast down thy people thy thou tell us my wanderings put thou my tears into thy bottle are they not in all thy book in verse 9 this text when i cry unto thee Then shall mine enemies turn back. This I know. This I know for God is for me. I cannot figure out what's going on in my life right now. I remember Samuel spilling the oil on my head. This is the one that God has chosen. I don't understand all this running and hiding, ducking and dodging. I have no idea why Saul wants to kill me. I know I'm anointed. I don't understand this season in my life. I don't really know where I'm going to be tomorrow. But this I know. That God is for me. And God will I praise his word, and the Lord will I praise his word. And God Have I put my trust? I will not be afraid what man can do unto me. Thy vows are upon me, O God. I will render praises unto thee, for thou hast delivered my soul from death. Will not thou deliver my feet from falling that I may walk before God in the light of the living? This is Psalm 56. This is David running, David living in a season of uncertain circumstances. And for David, it is not just a story. He could not read ahead and fast forward and know how it would end. I know he was anointed. He should have figured this out. But he tells his friend Jonathan in 1 Samuel 20 and 3, Thy father certainly know that I've found grace in your eyes. He tells Jonathan, there is but a step between me and death. He yells to Saul, "Why is the king of Israel come out after me, after a dead dog, after a flea? Why are you hunting me down like an animal?" Uncertain circumstances, but when David pins the words of Psalm fifty-six, he said, "There's a lot I don't know. I don't understand being a gath in the cave Adullam, but this I know." when everything else looks crazy and out of control, God is for me. God is for me. Amen. This I know. God is for me. And to today, in the larger sense of our culture... There's a great deal of uncertainty in our world. I would not say more than at any other time. We always feel like we are unique and our culture is the worst it's ever been and all of that. And history certainly doesn't bear that out in terms of persecution or pressure. But we live certainly in uncertain times, right? My prayer tonight is that the Lord would just give you a word of hope Encouragement, strength, to stay the course, to trust God's word, to not be afraid, to realize that just as he did with Joseph, that when necessary, when the time is right, he will speak to you, he will give you direction, he will protect his people. He will preserve his plan. God knows exactly what he's doing. Romans 15, 4, Paul wrote, For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning. This entire Bible, Paul's looking back on the Old Testament. He's saying all that Old Testament was written aforetime for our learning. God had a purpose in everything that was written, we now have the benefit of the New Testament. That we, through patience and comfort of the Scriptures, might have hope. What a powerful word from the Lord. Our life of uncertainty is a lot like Paul in the ship in a storm in Acts 27. A hurricane, 14 days, have not seen sun, moon, nor stars. No way to navigate, no way to determine where they are. Acts twenty seven twenty. And when neither sun nor stars in many days appeared and no small tempest lay upon us, all hope that we should be saved was taken away. You know, people who've got like hope and then <clears throat> hope, shriveling hope. But after 14 days, Paul said all hope that we should be saved was taken away. But then God spoke to Paul, Acts 27:21. But after long absence, Paul stood forth in the midst of them and said, Sirs, you should have listened to me, hearken to me, and not have loosed from Crete, and have to gain this harm and loss. they would thrown everything overboard, the tackling of the ship, the wheat. And now I exhort you to be of good cheer, for there shall be no loss of any man's life among you but of the ship. For there stood by me this night the angel of God, Whose I am and whom I serve. I like those words. The angel of God, whose I am, I belong to him, and whom I serve. That would be good to remember. I I belong to him and I serve him. And the angel said, Fear not, Paul. Thou must be brought before Caesar. And lo, God hath given thee all them that sail with thee. Wherefore, sirs, be of good cheer. For I believe God, I have this certain word in the uncertainty of our storm that it shall be even as it was told me. And the end of the story is that 276 men made it safe to land. Some swam, some on broken boards and pieces of the ship. But everybody got to the shore of Melita. God Protected them because God cannot lie and his word is a word of hope. So I would like to give a vaccination of hope today from the word of God. It will stay with you longer than any other vaccination. We're supposed to receive the engrafted word of God, right? So I believe in the power of the word of God that when we hear it, when we receive it, When we make it part of our fiber, it strengthens us. It strengthens, establishes, and settles us. It it does something to change us. Amen. So we're just going to look. Hebrews 13, 5 and 6. Let your conversation, your behavior be without covetousness. And be content with such things as you have. For he has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. So that we may boldly say the Lord is my helper. And I will not fear what man shall do unto me. Philippians 1, 6. Being confident of this very thing. That he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it or complete it or perfect it unto the day of Jesus Christ. 1 Thessalonians 5.23 And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. And I pray God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless into the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is he that calleth you who will also do it. Hebrews 13 Hebrews 13.20.21 Now the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you perfect in every good work, to do his will, working in you that which is well-pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom he glory forever and ever. A lot of our preaching and teaching, I'm raising my hand, a lot of my preaching and teaching is what we should do and how we can do better and pray more and try harder and be obedient. But I want us to understand that God wants you to succeed more than you do. God wants you to go to heaven more than you want to go to heaven. He's got a lot more invested in this than you do or I do. And it's not just what we do, the effort we exert, but God is working in us to will and to do of his good pleasure First Peter 3 3 excuse me First Peter 1 3 blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ which according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again into a living hope a lively hope by the resurrection of the dead of Jesus Christ from the dead pardon me to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God. I'm glad that the Holy Ghost just didn't allow me to speak in other tongues, but I am kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. The apostle Jude wrote, now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy to the only wise God, our Savior, be glory and majesty, dominion and power both now and ever. Would you thank him for a certain word? And now passage Romans 8. You may be familiar. 828, for we know. Psalm 56, this I know. Let me just pause to say right here. There's some things you need to settle that you quit revisiting over and over and wondering. Is this true or not true? Is this true or not true? Is this what I should believe? Is this essential or unsettled Settle it in your heart. Don't live with this ambivalence forever, vacillating back and forth. And you're going to be unstable as water, like waves of the sea, right? Tossed with the wind, and like foam the Bible talks about. Settle it. So anyway, you've got to know some things. Quit living with a giant question mark for a brain. Straighten it out, make it an exclamation point. This I know. All right. So back to Romans 8 28. And we know this is not a hypothesis. It's not an educated guess. It's not a theory. We know that all things work together for good to them that love God to them who are the called according to his purpose. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Individuals are not predestinated, but the process is. And if you stay in the process, he's already determined that if you will stay in the ship, you'll be saved. That if you'll stay in the process, the process is perfected. The church is predestined, okay? He's the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. And whom he called, them he also justified and whom he justified, then he also glorified. In other words, from the beginning to the end, God is working. And that's why we know that all things work together for good, because God has already laid this out. All right? So this is what God has done. And then Paul asks this question in verse 31. What shall we then say to these things? What conclusions should we draw to what God has said? And there are three things that he says and we'll read through the passage. The first is, if God be for us, who can be against us? We know this. He that spared not his son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? The second thing, he says it two ways. Who shall lay anything to the charge Of God's elect. It is God that justified. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died. Yea rather that is risen again. Who is even at the right hand of God. Who also maketh intercession for us. So Paul asks this question. You know what are we going to say to these things. If God be for us. Who can be against us. And the second is who can condemn us. Who is it that can go to our account in heaven. And put anything of a sin there. Satan is the accuser of the brethren, but no one can transact business on that account. But you and Jesus Christ gave His life to expunge the record, to put your sins under His blood behind His back, right as far as the east is from the west. And buried Him in the depths of the sea. So Paul says, "This is what we know: that no one can put a mark against us in God's holy book. No one can condemn us." And then thirdly, he says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? I'm talking about a certain word in uncertain circumstances. So he's asking these questions, but they're really answers, right? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for thy sake, we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Paul says, no, nay. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. More than conquerors, it means to over conquer. It is not a 15 round fight with the judge's decision. It's not a technical knockout. It is an overconqueror. It is like a one punch fight and you've knocked out the opponent. It is someone that just kind of sm- just smashes and destroys the opponent so quick it is an overconqueror. We're more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded. We know we're persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created being, nor any other creature, shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Tonight I just wanted to infuse you with a certain word. In these uncertain times. You see uncertainty can foster insecurity. Instability. You're not sure you're always wobbling through life. Not sure whether you're going to make it or not. You're going to make it. By the grace of God. You make up your mind. God's already done and will continue to do everything that you need to make sure that you make it. When you want to know the plan and you think you desperately need to know it and God has hid it from you, hang on. You'll get a certain word when you need it to guide you through. And this word, these words give us comfort and hope. God that cannot lie. David's words in Psalm 56 and 9. I'm asking Brother Brandon to please come to the keyboard. When I cry unto thee, then shall mine enemies turn back. This I know. Quit playing that old kid's game, you know. She loves me, she loves me not. He loves me, God loves me, God loves me not. This I know. God is for me. And in the end, what else do you need to know? Let's pray. Lord, I give you thanks right now. For a certain word, Lord, in uncertain circumstances of our culture. I thank you, Lord, right now because you have given us exceeding great and precious promises, Lord, that by them we may be partakers of the divine nature. I thank you, Lord, that you have given us a hope that you will guide us through the uncertain circumstances of our culture and time. And Lord, while there are many things about tomorrow that we do not understand, we know, Lord, that you hold tomorrow. And we know, Lord, that you are holding us, that you have us in the palms of your hand, that you have graven us in the palms of your hand, that you are holding us, God, safely and securely by your word. And we are kept, Lord, by that word. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand and just give glory to the Lord right now?